Studies show that 50% of buildings have mall. And yes, it affects both new and old buildings. And how, you may ask? Well, mold can actually hide behind the wall, in things like air conditioner, and even on coffee when it gets distributed from other locations. And some of the symptoms of mold toxicity can be things like chronic headaches, allergies, any kinds of muscle aches, joint pain, skin issues like eczema, psoriasis, and any kind of weird rushes on your body. It can also show up as vertigo, mood issues, and then it can eventually, if unaddressed, lead to autoimmune disease. Unfortunately, this is so common, and that's why I brought on Rachel Smith to talk about mold toxicity, autoimmune disease. You will learn how you can protect yourself and your family, and what to do if you've been exposed to mold. Rachel is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who has been studying and working in health and wellness for over seven years. And today she helps clients worldwide and focuses on helping people overcome autoimmune disease, mole illness, and other chronic illnesses naturally. And we'll be discussing a variety of things in this episode. We'll talk about stress, leaky gut, inflammation, copper toxicity, and how it shows up in the body. This episode is jam-packed with information, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's dive in. You're listening to Feel Better, Be Better, a podcast that helps women like you understand your female body better, balance your hormones naturally, and develop a healthy mindset. I'm your host, Dinara. I'm a certified women's health coach and a TEDx speaker, and I'm on a mission to help you make sense of your health. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Feel Better, Be Better podcast. I am excited today because I have a guest, Rachel Smith, and we're going to talk about all things women's health, autoimmune disease, mold toxicity. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Danara. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So one of the things that I'm always curious, because this is how women tend to get in this field, is... Curious about your story. How I know you've been in the field for about seven years. How did it all begin? How did you end up what you're doing today? Walk us through a little bit through your journey. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> when I was younger, I always had health problems. Literally since the day I was born, I had lung issues. I was hospitalized with pneumonia multiple times as a child. Always had digestive issues, headache, lots of things going on. Nobody could ever figure it out as a kid. So I just figured that's how it is for me. And then when I was in high school, I developed athlete's asthma. That's what the doctor told me. Mm-hmm. And at some point, and I was an athlete, I did weightlifting. I did track and field as well and Muay Thai and some other things. And I, it was challenging for me to work out because I couldn't, couldn't breathe very well. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I took out dairy for some reason. I don't remember why I took out dairy, where I heard that from. But all of a sudden, my athlete's asthma, quote unquote, went away. And so that was the first time I realized that nutrition had a connection to our health. And as I went through, started college, I thought I was eating pretty healthy. I was eating what I was taught as like a standard bodybuilding diet, oatmeal, rice, chicken, some other things as well. I still ate some standard American stuff in college for sure, fast food and all that. But I thought I was doing pretty well, but I continued to get sicker and sicker and sicker at a very young age. And by the time I was, I think it was 21 around that age. I mean, my hair was falling out. I was falling asleep in the middle of my classes in college. I I was having massive digestive issues, brain fog. It was so hard for me to make it through a day and have even just form sentences and have conversations. Mm. So I knew something was going on, but I had no clue. Continued going to doctor after doctor, different specialists, would put, put myself in the emergency room sometimes, and no one could ever tell me anything. And then when I was about 22, 23, I had really bad heart palpitations one night in the middle of the night, thought I was having a heart attack, got rushed to the emergency room and the doctors demanded to do an exploratory heart surgery on me. 
And I was terrified. I said, okay, do it. I guess if you think you need to look for something, put me under, did this heart surgery to look for any kind of electrical issues. I woke up, they said they didn't find anything. And that was, I think about a hundred thousand dollar medical bill. Oh my God. So, yeah. So after that, that was my final straw with conventional medicine. And also in the background during those past few years, I was listening to tons of podcasts, started getting into podcasts, reading lots of books about health and just trying to be my own doctor essentially, because nobody was helping me. And so by the time they did that surgery, I kind of realized that there's, I need to see a functional medicine practitioner, a holistic practitioner, found somebody, they diagnosed me with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid and figured out I had all sorts of other underlying health problems, uh, gut infections. And I've lived in moldy apartments before different things like that. And within a few months of just changing my diet alone, I was able to get rid of a ton of my symptoms and start reversing the Hashimoto's. And so that really started my journey of holistic health, functional medicine. And I thought it was so incredible that I actually pretty quickly quit my job in corporate America, went back to school to start studying, and then eventually became a functional medicine practitioner myself. And now I'm healthy. I yeah. And do all the things I enjoy working out, traveling. And now I get to help a variety of people with autoimmune diseases, mold illness, and other chronic health issues as well. Like I did. Oh my gosh. Obviously people don't see us because we're on a podcast, but you look incredibly healthy and <laughs> anything you're telling me, it would be really hard to just imagine that this is what you went through, but that's amazing. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> So you mentioned dairy and one of the things that I'm not sure if this was something with you and I shared it on this podcast before is there is this A1 casein, which is the compound a lot in dairy, which is highly inflammatory and actually helps women with sometimes period pain. And of course it's inflammation. Were you mm -hmm. able to ever connect whether it had to do anything with that? Not necessarily that. I think what happens with autoimmunity, or I know what happens with autoimmunity is that leaky gut is present, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so with leaky gut, all sorts of different food particles, as well as other toxins seep through the gut barrier and into the bloodstream. And then this creates widespread inflammation and also creates food sensitivities. Mm. So being sick my whole life, I don't think I ever had good gut health. Yeah. And I think I developed a... a did develop a very long list of food sensitivities. I remember the functional medicine practitioner, the first one I saw, he ran a food sensitivity test and he like his jaw dropped when he read it because I couldn't eat anything. I had like three mm -hmm. foods on there that were okay to eat. Yeah. So I had very, very bad leaky gut. And with that meant it took a lot of healing time and yeah. I was responding and reacting to tons of different foods. So I, I, didn't eat dairy for a long time until about last year, mm -hmm. I started to try raw dairy again. So like raw cheeses first, and I seem to be fine with them. Mm -hmm. I don't see any response, but I still don't eat dairy on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think what happened with me was I wound up healing a lot of different food sensitivities that I had developed over the years, but I've never necessarily made a connection between the different caseins or, or, mm -hmm. you know, the cows that it's coming from as well. Right. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So take me to that moment where you had the doctors and he looks at all this food sensitivities and he's like, well, this is insane. You can eat three things, which I think is very often that happens with women once they told they have food sensitivities. And this is what, I mean, it's shocking at first. And then after that, it develops a lot of fear around food, just incredibly damaging relationship with food. What has gone from the moment when you were told you can eat like three things? Oh my gosh. Now this, what I did, I would not recommend anybody do. He's, he scared me. He really scared me. He was very stern. He was very like, it's black or white type of guy. And he basically was like, you have to do this. You have to eat this way or else you're going to be sick. You know? And like, he's like, you're so young. You have to fix these problems. And I'm glad in, in a one aspect that he did that. But on the other side, I remember leaving his office, bawling my eyes out, having a panic attack, 
really making myself very stressed out, which now I know that that stress response only makes things worse and only weakens the immune system more. So at that time, I did go full force autoimmune diet, all of that kind of stuff and took out all the foods, but I would catch myself kind of relapsing here and there and almost developing kind of like a binging type disorder for a while where I would fall off and overeat certain foods and then not feel well and then go back to the diet. And it was this crazy yo-yo thing. But once it took me a while, but once I learned, okay, I really do feel good if I eat these foods and I'll just continue to work on my body. I was able to, to stick to it, but I do see it often that people do develop a big fear around food when it comes to this stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a challenging one. And I like to take that on a case by case basis with people. I personally, in my practice, don't use food sensitivity testing unless someone requests it. I don't like to scare people with all of the little things that could also be healthy for them. If maybe it's a low level of a sensitivity and we'll just take out certain food groups and still focus on like broad, you know, produce and grass fed meats and wild caught fish and those things that are very healing and have them start there mm-hmm. and work on all the other aspects of things that we find on the lab tests and lifestyle changes. And if at any point we needed to do a food sensitivity test further, we could, but most people become very in tune with their body later on, as we start to reintroduce some foods and they can pretty much instantaneously figure out if they're reacting to something like dairy or a different food group. Yeah. And I think you bring up something super important when it comes to food sensitivity tests and getting these results is that stress. You're like, oh my gosh, now I can't do anything. And of course, leaky guts and just the way it reacts to stress and to cortisol and how it actually tends to exacerbate the condition when you actually trying to fix things. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, what did you do after that? Did you start to introduce food slowly? Did you stick to those three things? So yeah, I worked with a variety of practitioners because I yeah. was super sick. So I was doing acupuncture, doing herbs, supplements. I, I wound up hiring other naturopathic doctors along the road. So I stuck to more of an autoimmune based diet for quite a while maybe a year longer, and then eventually changed over to paleo. Okay. And so I still eat mostly paleo even to this day, but I can still go on vacation or, you know, we were talking before the show and I'm traveling right now. I'm in Spain and I was like, okay, well, I kind of want to try some of the things that are in Spain. And if it's, if it's outside of the paleo diet, I can handle it now, but it's not a regular thing for me to do every single day. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, but as long as you found something that works and you actually have the large variety, so you actually give your gut that variety, then, then that's perfect. Experiment and find what works for you. Absolutely. And so the latest statistic that I've seen is that 75% of people with autoimmune disease are women, and it is very prevalent among women, more so than among men. And I have some ideas as to why that could be happening. But can you, from your opinion, dealing with people that actually have autoimmune disease, why do you think it is so common when it comes to women? That's a good question. There's probably something genetically, but I also think hormonally. Yeah. And our ability to, you know, women handle stress very differently than men handle stress. Mm -hmm. I was just on a call with a client earlier talking about cycle syncing and how the hormones change and how a man is completely different than a woman. A man, you know, has their testosterone, they have their 24 hour cycle, they're good to go. They can work hard every day and do the same thing. If a woman does that every single day and tries to act like a man with work ethic and all of those things, but let's say, she's in the luteal phase of her cycle where she needs to start to slow down more and look inward and relax a little bit more, you're going to overwork yourself, overdo it, overstress yourself. And with autoimmunity, there is a large emotional aspect, stress, trauma aspect that can trigger autoimmunity and really push someone into developing a disease. So I think that could definitely be a part of it of like overdoing it on a regular basis. Yeah, no, definitely. And I love the the fact that you brought in cycle syncing because obviously it's a 
thing that I love talking about the most. It's just we don't operate on a 24-hour basis and our sex hormones are so not taken in consideration when it really comes to actually treating the female body that it's I wouldn't be surprised that that has partially something to do with it. And the response to stress, you're absolutely right, just how much it changes. Yeah, I'd be curious. Did did you have something you wanted to add to that about women? The fact that we just not taught that our body changes from one week to the next. And as Mm -hmm. you said, we were to do the same thing as men, wake up at five o'clock, like, you know, those five o'clock morning clubs, you get up, you try to achieve as much as possible. Our productivity is so Mm -hmm. much linked to our worth and we're just grinding and going after whatever the goals might be, but actually it ends up tearing our system so much quicker than it tears men. So it's not surprisingly that women experience more autoimmune conditions. And it's the same with hormone imbalances. 85% of women experience hormone imbalances when in men, I believe that number is around five to seven, which is just a dramatic difference and just shows how much medical, medical conventional medicine really focuses on men versus focusing on the female body. And clearly we see it in this insane statistics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I would say every, you could probably speak to this too, but I think every woman that I've talked to that works with me and I do the the coaching on the cycle syncing part in your hormones, yeah. I always ask, Hey, do you know how your cycle works? And I'll show them the picture. And they always say, no, you know, no, I was never taught that I never seen this in my, in before in my life. And some of these women are in their thirties or forties or, you know, older. Yeah. So it's crazy what we're not taught when we're younger about our own bodies that dictates our entire life. Yeah. And then there's part of not being taught about it. And then there is the consequence of it that we tend to struggle down the road, being like hair falling out, no energy. And we're like, what the heck is going on? It's like, you okay. Nothing is wrong with you. And you're like, mm, I'm pretty sure there's something going on. Yes. Right. So interesting. So what are some of the common misconceptions that you see when it comes to autoimmune immune disease? that it's chronic and can't be reversed. I think that's you know, a so, big one. That's what I would think. And tell us why is that a myth? So, well, you still, you technically can't say, you know, we're curing autoimmunity or it goes away forever. You know, the immune system definitely can still have some antibodies and things going on. But as far as all of the symptoms, you most of the time do not need to take medications. And I am not poo-pooing on medication completely. Like there's definitely some people out there who need to take some medications in the beginning or maybe need to take some thyroid medication or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you look deeper for what, why did you get the autoimmune disease? Like what actually triggered it? And then we work on those aspects. That's where you start to get rid of all of the symptoms associated with it and really rebalance and restore the immune system. And so- Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can go into what some of those root causes are. Yeah, let's talk about like it. Too. Sure. So I did mention one, which was the leaky gut already. Okay. So, or the gut permeability, that's a really big portion of things getting into the bloodstream, causing that inflammation. Of course, we have about 80% of our immune system in the gut as well. So if we have anything going on there, that's going to have a massive impact mm-hmm. on our immune system. We have different microbes or pathogens, things like parasites or H. pylori. I see a lot with people or just different bacterial overgrowth or fungal overgrowth, toxins, environmental toxins. There's something like 80,000 different chemicals that are registered in the United States for use. And those things are hiding everywhere. They're in makeup and skincare products, shampoo, cookware, in our mattresses that we sleep on for a third of our lives. So we're constantly exposed to these things. And most of these chemicals will irritate the immune system or disrupt hormone function. Mm -hmm. We have stress, which I actually already touched on any kind of past traumas or major stressors in our lives. And then we have genetics. Genetics plays a small role. I say small because we know that epigenetics is a thing now. So if your genetics says you're going to get rheumatoid arthritis, but you live an amazing, healthy lifestyle doesn't mean you're going to get rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. But if you eat a standard American diet, you are spraying crazy chemicals in your house all the time and perfume all over your body and you the live up in the toilet the breeze and, and, air, <laughs> and candles, bath and body works just slathered all over you <laughs> and you have some stress in your lives and you don't manage that. Maybe you have a little bit of leaky gut going on. Then we create like the perfect storm for 
mm-hmm. triggering the gene to actually activate essentially for that rheumatoid arthritis or whatever the disease is. That's yeah, that's so interesting. So there's basically a ton of things that can be that can mm-hmm. be causing it. So once somebody realizes, okay, something is going on here, how can we use functional medicine approach, this sort of this stuff that you do in order to start reversing those conditions and putting it into remission? Yeah. So the first step is just identifying what are the root causes. It's never going to be yeah. one thing. It's not like okay, yes, leaky gut. That's the only thing you have going on. Yeah. You know, n- normally it's a few of the things I just talked about or a mixture of all of them. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would talk to somebody one-on-one for a solid hour, at least to understand what's your health history. When did the disease manifest? Did, did you go through some sort of stressful event where you started noticing yeah. the symptoms happening? Did you move into a new home that potentially has mold in it or something? Maybe we'll, we might get to talk about that today. Yeah. Did your symptoms start to manifest then? So just trying to understand what types of tests do we need to run and what could be going on? And then I would move into choosing those tests, running those tests. So that could be something like looking at a GI map test to look at the gut and understanding yeah. what pathogens are there. What does your microbiome look like? possibly a a mycotoxin test to look for mold toxins in the body, Mm. Uh, maybe a mineral, a hair tissue mineral analysis test to look at minerals and some metals. So we'll, we'll start there, identify that. And then once we have the results, that's when we can create a custom plan using supplements to start to address the imbalances, but also using nutrition and lifestyle changes. So focusing on stress management, nervous system regulation, um, getting toxins out of the environment, s- focusing on sleep, all of the basic foundational things as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that that totally makes sense. And when it comes to nutrition, what it would I guess it would depend on the sensitivities and what is your protocol with nutrition when it comes to so- Yeah. I like to take out a major inflammatory thing. So if it's somebody with an autoimmune disease, you definitely want to do an AIP diet, which, or nutrition plan. I don't really love the word diet. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just really taking out the things that could be causing harm and focusing on the things that are very nutritious and good for the body. So, and what is AIP diet for those that don't know? Yes. Autoimmune paleo or autoimmune protocol. It's okay. can be referred to both of those. Okay. And there are plenty of studies showing that this can help put autoimmune diseases into remission. Also, this is what I used for myself in my past. And this is what I have seen hundreds of people use in my practice. And so that's going to be taking out things like um, grains, legumes, dairy, nuts and seeds, nightshades, so you, it's, it's definitely an adjustment. It takes some yeah. people some time to get into that, but I would say within the first month, they realize how powerful it is mm-hmm. and we just use it as a tool. So it's not something I ever tell people to stay on forever. It's a tool while we work on the other findings on the lab tests and the other things going on in the life, mm-hmm. because we want to reduce inflammation as much as possible. So if you're having an immune response to foods, if we can calm the immune system down, turn the dial down on it, it will speed up the healing process for the gut and the rest of the body, heal some of the food sensitivities. And then later on, we'll slowly reintroduce those and use the body as the test itself to identify if if there's a sensitivity. Okay. Makes sense. So all the nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, all of those things, they're quite nutritious and they're quite actually beneficial for the gut and for the hormones. So after a little while, you say you're able to introduce it and then use the body as a barometer to see whether it's able to take it again. Correct. That definitely makes sense. And of course, one of the things that you mentioned, and I really want to talk about it more is mold illness and specific what is happening with mold. How do people know that they're experiencing mold issues? This is such a crazy thing. And I love to talk about it because I have dealt with this multiple times in my life and it is not a fun process. And I really feel for people who go through this. So the thing is that mold is everywhere. It's all around us. It's outside and it's inside of buildings, but there are studies that show that about 50% or close to 50% of buildings have mold. Now, 
if there is a significant amount of toxic molds that is in a home or a building like a workspace or a school, this can drastically affect someone's health. Mm-hmm. And what happens is there's mold that produces mycotoxins, which is just a name for the toxin from mold, lots of different types of these. And these are pretty much invisible to the naked eye. So you don't have to even see, I mean, mold could be hiding behind a wall, in the roofing, in the air ducts or the air conditioner. And then these mycotoxins, again, invisible can be blowing around the house. You breathe them in and then you can get very ill depending on your genetics, depending on the type of mold, depending on how long you've been exposed and the amount, as Mm -hmm. well as any prior health conditions that you have. So- So that's the environmental. And then we also are like the home-based. We also have mycotoxins on our food. Mm. Definitely not as concerning in the US and the EU. If you look at the studies actually on this stuff, it's more concerning in the Middle East, in Asia. Those types of countries have much worse restrictions. And because of the climate, especially the more humid climates and the way that they store things, it could be a, a much larger problem but we can still, we import things like coffee and nuts and seeds and things into the U S. So mycotoxins can be on peanuts, cashews, walnuts, corn. Coffee is really, really big for having mold on it as well as grains like wheat and dried fruits. Coffee would it keep the mold given that you destroyed the beans and then you sort of like strain them? Does it still keep it? It does. Interesting. Yeah, there's coffees out there nowadays that are becoming very popular because they're tested for mold. Okay. And there's, oh, I think there's like f- six or seven really good ones that I know of right now. And off of the top of my head, I could tell you Purity Coffee, uh, Keon Coffee, Bulletproof Coffee. And those are the only ones I can think of at the moment, but those are some starters for people if they want to Google like mold-free coffee. Yeah. So symptom wise, the thing is that first off, it just suppresses the immune system a lot, mold exposure. And then the symptoms are crazy wide ranging. Very commonly you can get headaches, chronic headaches or allergies, any kinds of muscle aches, joint aches, joint pain, skin issues, eczema, psoriasis, any kinds of weird rashes on the body, vertigo, mood issues. And then eventually this can trigger an autoimmune disease. Like I've seen this really big with people with lupus, Sjogren specifically, fibromyalgia and Hashimoto's are some of the bigger ones. Oh, wow. So obviously when I hear this, I'm like, let me open my air conditioning wide open and let me clean all the little holes and in places. But is that realistic? Where do people look if they have that? Yeah. So Very good question. (laughs) If you want to know if you have mold in your home, the first thing is if you ever move into a place and you can trace back and think, okay, I had symptoms start when I started working at a new place, I started going to a different school or I moved into a different home. Mm -hmm. did, Did your symptoms start there? That's a good thing to start to think about. Other things could be, is your indoor humidity over 50% or do you live in like a really, really humid, wet area? Have you ever had water damage in your house that you didn't address within about 24 to 48 hours because mold can grow very quickly within maybe it was a spill on the floor or something that or a leak somewhere where the mold started to grow behind a wall. Mm. Do you have recurring leaks anywhere through your roof, your windows, anything like that? Do you have a musty smell anywhere in the home? That's a really big sign that there could be mold there. Mm. of course we have the visible mold, right? That would be the most obvious thing that someone's, oh, there's, yeah, there's spots on the wall that I can see. Yeah. Those are things you want to think of for, should I have my home inspected? And if you're really concerned about mold illness or a really bad toxic overgrowth of mold. So if you're in that space, what you would want to do is hire an indoor environmental professional You can definitely do the testing yourself. I don't recommend it because you just never know. Like it would be like a random person trying to order lab tests and then interpret them on their selves for their health, right? You Mm -hmm. don't really know how to interpret them and where quite you're looking. So I would advise people to hire somebody, hire a professional 
And then an ERMI test is one of the gold standards for the type of testing that you want to do. And if for some reason someone couldn't afford the professional inspector and you just wanted to get the test and you did yeah. need to go that route, then the ERMI test, it's spelled E-R-M-I, is mm-hmm. what you could purchase and, and do on your own. Okay. Now you asked about yourself. If if you're just like, I don't think this is going on. I just want to make sure that I maintain things in my home. Yeah. I would recommend a really good HEPA filter, like a MERV 10 rating or higher for your HVAC system. Constantly dusting with a wet cloth or a microfiber cloth because mold can grow on dust. Mm. Um, mm -hmm, Those mycotoxins and mold can be on dust. So always making sure that that's good. Your house is really clean. Um, They have vacuums with HEPA filters in. So constantly not constantly, but you know, on a normal basis, yeah. every week or so cleaning, yeah, you know, vacuuming vacuum. your floors, mm-hmm. doing a good cleaning and some additional air purifiers can be beneficial throughout the home. So something like an air doctor or hypo air is another good company that I like. And just having a couple of those additional ones to help purify the things within the home. Mm, and with, when it comes to purifying, is it better to use the purifiers or open the windows, and let the house air out, or it's sort of the combination of both? I think a combination of both, but it also depends on where do you live? Do Mm -hmm. you live next to a highway where there's a ton of pollution? And if you're opening your windows, are you going to get worse pollution into your home? Or do you Mm -hmm. live in a a decent area, maybe a normal neighborhood where opening your windows are, are more beneficial? Because nowadays they do say that the air inside of the home is, I think, three times more or quite more polluted than outdoors because of the the paint, the furnishing and furnishings in our home, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, the VOCs, the, the volatile organic compounds that slowly off gas from mattresses and furniture and those types of things. So if you're in a good place where you can open your windows, yes, trying to get those open throughout the week is a really, really good idea. Mm, but of course, depending where you live and then basically that's that it's correlation. And do you mm-hmm. see mole quite often? Is it something that you you face quite frequently? A lot, a lot. Mm. I I don't know if it's one of those things that because I post about it a lot and on my videos, I talk about the symptoms. So therefore I just attract all the people Um, or if it really is this crazy thing that so many people are dealing with because sometimes it's those people who have gone to many doctors and they're like, they can't figure out what's wrong with me. And then I, I, you know, you just got to ask the right questions and look for the right symptoms and say, you know what, let's just try to run this mycotoxin test and see. Mm -hmm. And what do you know? Crazy, crazy to see it. I've had, I had two men within the past couple months, both come to me with chronic pancreatitis Mm. caused by what I found was mold. The one guy had had chronic pancreatitis for years and once we started working on the mold, he, this is really crazy. He went to go get some sort of procedure for his pancreas that he had been getting over the years. Mm. And he didn't have to get it this time because oh. he started to have improvements. And his doctor was like, how did you do that? Like, I don't understand how this is happening, mm-hmm. but the, there's actually a lot of studies that show that fungus, even like candida can migrate to the pancreas and of course, that's going to cause inflammation and disruption in the fun- functioning of the pancreas as well. Uh, okay, that's crazy. And what would be the protocol for healing mole? Is it move out of the house, throw out all of your furniture and all of your clothes? Yeah. So there's there's multiple options. Option number one, the most extreme and the safest would yes if it's a if it's a bad overgrowth that you've been dealing with it would be getting rid of much of the porous soft items that can absorb and clench onto those mycotoxins Mm -hmm. and moving into a new place or remediating the home if you own the home or something and you can have a professional team come in extract remediate normally they'll do a fogging of the house as well and those types of things to help make sure they clear everything out yeah There is another option to keeping your belongings, which is what I have most people do because no one, not everybody has 
tens of thousands of dollars sitting there to get everything new there for their entire lives. Mm-hmm. So there is a company called Microbalance that I like. And there's, I think there's probably other options out there, but this is a non-toxic company where they sell home foggers, they sell laundry detergent, candles, sprays, all these different things that after you've done the remediation, you can come in, buy the products yourselves. They're really not that pricey either Mm -hmm. and kind of clean all of your belongings and and do the best you can with removing any lingering mycotoxins on there. Mm, Okay. So those would be, and then would it be the same protocol like for the autoimmune condition or would it be changing the diet or is it mostly the trigger that we need to eliminate, which is mold? So removing the environmental part is just step one mm-hmm. with anybody. If they have a buildup within their bodies, first off, we would, we would look at that on a mycotoxin panel, which is a mm-hmm. urine sample. And that's going to look at the systemic levels of mold and what types of mold are in the body. And then another test I like is called an organic acids test, which is also a urine sample. And this is going to look at the mold colonization specifically in the gut. Mm-hmm. So we okay. can see two different things going on. And from there, it can take six months or longer to get rid of the mold from the body. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to be a wide variety of supplements. Think about things like glutathione and NAC and binders and different things that can help push and excrete those toxins from the body, as well as a variety of antioxidants and different things that can protect the cells and the tissues from the push of these toxins out. They're also going to be doing things like using the sauna to make sure that they're sweating the toxins out more quickly, moving the lymphatic system so that we're not getting a Herxheimer's reaction where people get really sick when they start to take supplements and kill Mm -hmm. things off in the body. So dry brushing and moving your body daily, hydrating, making sure you're pooping daily. Mm -hmm. Some of these, these basic things to make sure you're moving the toxins out. Mm -hmm. And then also definitely dietary changes because the less inflammation in your body dietary wise, the easier the process is going to move, the better you're going to feel Yeah, uh, because mold can make people feel really, really crappy. And we just want to speed up that process with having people feel better. Yeah. As soon as possible. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. That gives me a food for thought just because it is becoming so common, but yet I wasn't sure exactly as to the exact steps that needs to take. And I think this is really help people to actually understand at least if this is what's happening. Yeah. If people want to learn more about this, and I, I wrote this recently because I, what I would see happen is people come to me, they, we start working together and then, or, you know, they even come to me for just a call to see what's yeah. going on. And then they find out that the mold is a thing and they want to go take care of that first. And they need a lot of help and support with all the things we just talked about mm-hmm. and kind of what is the direction. So I recently did write a blog on this that outlines everything we talked about and then much, much more detail so that people can go access that. Amazing. And they can go that to- yeah, naturalhealthrising.com. I think it's forward slash mold dash 101. Okay. Should be one of the newer blogs on there, Mold Illness 101, and they can read all of the steps on that. Yeah, look through it. No, that's amazing. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can go and look at it. Because I think, as you said, 50% of homes are affected. That's a lot. And do you see that in the newer buildings as well? Or is it mostly in older buildings? Yeah, it's actually both. Yeah. So I, a crazy story from a friend is they had built a brand new home mm-hmm. and she got crazy sick within the first, I think, year or so of living there. Oh, wow. The roofer, whoever put on the roof, put on the, whatever the protective paneling is, I guess, on the inside of the roof backwards, yeah. the, the lining. Okay. And, you know, it rained a little bit. Some water got through the roof into the lining and bam, that was it. That's all it took. Oh, wow. So you never really know. Mm, yeah, that's crazy. And you can see how some people would get into the homes and they're like, it's just bad energy, but actually, no, it's just mold. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's that's what's happening. So we talked about mold toxicity. There's another, another toxicity that I see quite often is the copper toxicity. And I see it mm. often with IUD specifically with a copper IUD. Do you experience that? And what are the symptoms that you're seeing with copper toxicity if that happens? Oh gosh, that's a good question. So yeah, I like to look for this on 
hair tissue mineral analysis test. It's okay. a really good test to see copper toxicity or hidden copper toxicity. Mm-hmm. And symptom wise, copper is really well known for affecting the mood mental, mentally and emotionally, kind of maybe triggering more things like anxiety, bipolar, um, kind of like manic like episodes. So that, that would be symptom wise of what somebody could be experiencing with copper. Mm, Okay. And as far as I guess, getting it through your body, you'll be doing the same binding supplements as the ones that you mentioned for mold. So it basically gets attached to it and gets rid of it, or would it be through food and nutrition? Okay. So this is something that can be very dangerous to just try and get rid of on your own or quickly because you could experience what's called copper dumping. And I actually just, I, I had a video on TikTok. Someone responded and said how they tried doing this on their own and they were taking large doses of zinc, which is an antagonist to copper. And they started getting tingling in their hands and neurological symptoms and they felt absolutely terrible. So What happens with copper is there's multiple antagonists or things that would balance it out, right? So vitamin C is an antagonist, molybdenum, and zinc. Mm. So technically you could use a variety of these. You could use the three of them together in a certain way or one of them, but you would not want to just start taking a ton of zinc or a thousand milligrams of vitamin C because you could pull the copper too fast from the tissues because Mm -hmm. copper can build up inside of the tissues and hang on in those tissues for years in the liver, the brain, the female reproductive organs. So it would just be kind of looking at analyzing on a one-on-one basis, what somebody would need working Mm -hmm. with a professional for that. And then going very, very slow with detoxing and watching out for any symptoms that could be a sign that we're moving too quickly. And in the beginning, maybe somebody does just use nutrition, higher vitamin C based foods, foods, higher in zinc, and also looking for where is the copper coming in the environment? Is it from an IUD? Is it from copper pipes in, in a home and you've been drinking water for years from those copper pipes. Um, I've even heard of it from imbalances in swimming pools. There could be copper in swimming pools as well. Mm, Wow. That's crazy. This just comes down to truly listening to your body and understanding what is happening and being able to work with a professional test for these things and actually know that no, you're not crazy. Maybe you're not having bipolar. Maybe it's just copper toxicity, which is obviously such a different ways of approaching a disease. And mm-hmm. once again, knowledge is power. I do want to touch on one more thing and that's, and we spoke about it a little bit and that's stress and nervous system regulation. How does, obviously, how does that kind of, and kind of understand the, of course, the mechanism of it, just how much the stress affects our gut, but how do you approach it? And what are some of the most effective ways of dealing with stress and partnering with your nervous system? So you actually see the results in the very busy, stressful world that we live in. Mm. Yeah. Stress is crazy for our health. You know, when we are stressed out and we, if we look at I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Porges polyvagal theory at all, but Mm -hmm. okay. So he states that there's like three kind of notches of the nervous system, right? The parasympathetic or the social engagement, which is rest and digest. That's where we want to hang, try to hang out. Most of the time Mm -hmm. we have the sympathetic, the fight or flight that most people have heard of before. We also have the dorsal vagal, the shutdown, the immobilization, the free state. So the sympathetic and the shutdown when we move into those states in our lives, what happens is we're going to, well, they're a little different with what happens in the body, but if we kind of group them together, they both definitely harm the immune system. Mm -hmm. They suppress it a lot. They start to suppress a lot of normal functions, especially digestion as well. Because if we went back to paleolithic times when we're like trying to run from a tiger or something. We didn't need to use our digestive system while we're running away. We just need to pump a lot of blood through our body and get our adrenaline up so we can run away. Mm -hmm. And then when we were calm and by ourselves again, we could eat our food, be in parasympathetic state, digest those, that food and absorb the nutrients. So if today we're in that state, which we'll talk about why that happens, we're not digesting our food. We're not absorbing our nutrients. Our immune system is dysregulated. So there's a lot of things that are harmful to our health. 
And if we are on the go all the time, maybe we're a parent, we don't ever give ourselves a break or we're working crazy hours, or we've even experienced some stressful things or challenges or trauma in our lives that we haven't dealt with Mm -hmm. that can also push the nervous system into being in that fight or flight or that shutdown state more often. Mm. So you can see how that is, is very detrimental to our health. So in order to help us get back to that parasympathetic state more often, there's so many different things you can do. Obviously you can try different therapies and things like that, but I really like to help people with what are tools that you can use on a daily basis to regulate the nervous system to get into that parasympathetic state. So that could be things like tapping, like emotional freedom technique Mm -hmm. or EFT. Have you heard of that one before or used that? Okay. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites. This could be anything that's supporting or stimulating the the vagus nerve, which really helps control our our nervous system. So this could be cold exposure, taking Mm -hmm. cold showers on a daily basis, um, practicing different breathing exercises. We have our our more aggressive, faster breathing exercises, which are really popular now. Mm -hmm. But I think if somebody is in, and I think they're useful and I I teach people them, but I think for most people who are in more of a chronic illness state, the slower ones, like the, the box breathing, the five, seven, eight breaths, those type of things can be very, very healing and calming, especially for women, Mm. shaking, dancing, incorporating more play, more joy into your life. I mean, there's so many things that people can incorporate to start to regulate themselves more. Yeah. And I think with stress, it's important to find something that actually works for you and do daily rather than be like, all right, now I'm doing this reset once a week and now I'm going to get into nature, but actually, and I like the emotional freedom technique. And for those that don't know, can you explain what that is and how people can practice it at home? Yeah, sure. It is kind of like acupressure. Yeah. Right. That's what I like to think of it like, because acupuncture, we have the meridian points. You stick the needles in an acupuncture, acupressure, you apply pressure. This is tapping on some of those points. So that in itself is what's stimulating the kind of rebalancing effect of the body. And then there's also a speaking aspect to it where you're bringing up an emotional state that you're struggling with. Maybe it's fear about something that's happening in your life or stress and there's, I think everybody does it a little bit different, but the phrases that I know are, even though I feel, and then you insert that, that emotion, that fear Mm -hmm. or worry about blank, about my finances or the fight I had with my boyfriend, I still love, accept and forgive myself. That's one example of what the phrase is. You go through tapping on these different points of the body and within a couple rounds, you can allow yourself to really release that emotion, bring your stress or your fear or whatever it was down from a level 10 of intensity down to a five or a three or a one. Mm -hmm. And it can help get that stuff out of the body instead of holding onto it, which can in itself create health problems. Yeah. I love that. I have, for those that are cool, curious to explore it, I, if you're familiar with Brad Yates, he's on YouTube and he does a lot of EFT tapping and I had him on, on Instagram. We did a live together and he's just nice. so, it's just so fun. It's such a cute, harmless exercise to do, but he's got lots of videos on YouTube and it takes five to 10 minutes on whichever topic. And it usually comes up. So if, if it's difficult to sort of conceptualize as we talk about it here for whoever is listening, you, you feel free to go on YouTube to Brad Yates and I'll link him in the, in a show notes. So that way you have somewhere to start. Cause I do think that EFT is such a little hidden jewel that everybody can use. Yeah. There's so many YouTube videos that people could go use. It's incredible. Yeah. Rachel, this was so beneficial for so many women. And I know that this episode specifically with mold toxicity, copper toxicity, and the autoimmune disease, the stuff that we've discussed, I think for a lot of, given how common it is, there's a, a lot of women feel like they probably have more hope and they certainly can work with you and find you. And with that, where can they find you? Where can they get familiar with your work? Yeah, you can go to naturalhealthrising.com or anywhere on social media that is the handle Natural Health Rising. So Instagram, TikTok, I definitely respond to my messages on Instagram. So if anybody would like to reach out and ask me anything or chat with me, then they can do so there. 
amazing. And we'll link all of those in the show notes. Before we'll wrap this up, is there anything else that we missed? Is there anything else that you'd like women to know when it comes to taking ownership of their health? Yeah, we'll leave people with a little bit of a health nugget. So I feel like some of the things we talked about today were really heavy topics and I deal with these people and I know it's, it's heavy stuff, autoimmunity, mold illness, all of that. And if you're somebody who's dealing with that and you're on a health journey, when you experience health challenges, sometimes, and a lot of times I see people becoming hyper-focused on healing. I did it myself within the first few years. And what winds up happening is that you get yourself more stressed out. Like I told the story of me having the panic attack when I first found out about everything and it can become a vicious cycle of being hyper-focused on health and having that kind of stifle your progress. So my additional tip would be to, yes, of course, focus on healing, but also don't be so hard on yourself. Like don't get too obsessed. Remember to try and enjoy and experience life, laugh more, play more. Don't take things seriously. Like actually just go on your calendar and delete something that you've been dreading doing and put in something that you haven't done in a long time that you actually love to do. And just continue to bring more joy and play into your life. I love that little rebellious things. I'm like, I can't wait to delete all the stuff of my that nugget. I know it's useful. And I know that sometimes we need to take us out of our serious box and be like, yo, relax, not here yeah. for that long. So just, just enjoy it. Enjoy your life as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you once again so much for coming and chatting with me. I know this has been so useful, regardless of how heavy it was. And for those of you that it's been a lot of information, please listen to it again. So you make sure you get everything out of this episode and get in touch with Rachel should you have more questions. I have one last question for you. Will you help someone on their health journey by sharing this episode with them? Let's not have our friends say, well, nobody told me by clicking share and send this episode to them. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember that new episodes are released every Wednesday. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, whatever you listen to your podcast. And help me grow Feel Better, Be Better show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Because this way, we're able to share the information with more people. And finally, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at dinara.muk.h. So head over there and DM me. Let me know what was your biggest takeaway from this episode. Thank you. Until next week.